Hi, I'm Ryan Roy, the host of The Artful Dollar, a podcast where we talk to artists about money. I have made a living as an artist my entire life, and the world of business and finance used to really perplex me. That is until I embraced money as simply another creative medium, a source of creative energy, if you will. I believe that the areas of money, art, and spirituality all have a lot to teach each other. And now I work as a financial coach and I help artists build healthy, thriving relationships with money. On this first episode of The Artful Dollar, I got to chat with tattoo artist and entrepreneur Russ Abbott, who is the owner of Ink and Dagger Tattoo, as well as the CEO of Tattoo Smart, which sells digital design tools for tattoo artists. I wanted to interview Russ really because I selfishly wanted to see if I could find just one golden nugget of wisdom that I could take with me to help me achieve even one tenth of what he's been able to accomplish. And after re-listening to our conversation, I do believe I've found what it is that has led Russ to such incredible success, both as an artist and as an entrepreneur. He generously shares a lot of wisdom with me over the course of our conversation, but there is one overarching lesson, sort of like a theme that I noticed, and I wanted to see if you can find it too. I'll share my takeaway with you at the end, but I want to invite you to listen for this golden nugget of wisdom and see if you can discover it for yourself. Just a little disclaimer before we get started. I am a licensed financial advisor and I offer investment advisory services through Able Wealth Management LLC, a registered investment advisor. I only provide financial advisory services to clients of Able Wealth Management LLC who have signed a written agreement. So nothing that I say on this podcast should be taken as financial or investment advice. And if you're looking to make any financial or investment decisions, you should first consult your financial advisor before doing so. Please visit ablewealth.com to see our full disclosure. Now, with all that out of the way, I want to bring you Russ Abbott. I thought a, a, an interesting thing to talk about is just like how you and I started talking. And I'm, I'm, I'm curious about a few things. Um, I'm still not clear because I've heard conflicting stories about the uh, the Explorer Expo and my name getting brought up. And so, several people said you mentioned me and some people said that I believe Gunner mentioned me. And I'm, I'm still confused. Is, someone said, I had someone say that you put my name up on the screen. Is, is this, wh- no, what happened? What true. went down? I did not do that. Yeah, okay. I, I actually don't I literally had a, a client tell me, oh yeah, they, uh, Russ put your name up on the screen. I was like, what? I don't know him. I have no idea. Who he <laughs> Why would he do that? Yeah, I I don't know. I mean, I could I could probably try to put the pieces together, and it certainly involves Gunner um, in some way because you know I honestly don't know, man. I think I just found you on Instagram. Yeah, um, Gunner told me that he was thinking of someone else, and he couldn't remember her their, their name, and so he just okay. like threw my name out, and I was like, oh, cool, <laughs> great, <laughs> thanks. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, possibly. I'm just not really, really sure about that. I wish I could fill in those gaps for you. Yeah, that's fine. It's one of those. But I think, you know, the mysteries. Instagram algorithm is just, you know, so good these days at, you know, showing me things that I want to see. 
um, it's like almost always in the explore page. I'm just like, Ooh, what's that? And, and I think that's how I, I found you, you know, maybe, okay, maybe cool. someone else, you know, might've, might've shared something that you did or for some reason, um, very Instagram cool. was like, these two need to meet. Awesome. And, um, and there we are. I mean, it's, it's just been, I don't know if since first contact, it's probably been what about six months or so. I think less than that. I think, yeah. I think like, I think April, April, May, June, I think yeah. three months since, since we first chatted on the phone. Yeah. Right. Well, you know, I, I think that I've been observing and, and you're part of this, but I've been observing a, a, a general trend in the tattoo, you know, world within the industry of the emergence of the, you know, very specialized, um, very well positioned expert in within the larger niche of tattooing, we're starting to see, you know, what we have seen in, in other, well, I mean, maybe people in the tattoo world haven't seen it, but because I exist in the world outside of the tattoo business, because of my work with tattoo smart, um, I've seen, and I'm sure you've seen as well with your experience in, in the financial world that, you know, there, there are influencers, coaches, thought leaders, um, you know, people who, you know, have an expertise in some subject that have decided to make a certain group of people, their audience. Right. And so I was really interested to see that there was a tattoo artist who had become a financial advisor who was custom tailoring financial advice directly to, to tattoo artists, you know, such as yeah. yourself. And, um, you know, and, and so I've, I've been, I've been trying to figure out, you know, where, where my own coaching where my own thought leadership, you know, and, and mentorship would, would focus. Right. And, you know, I, I think I, I understand that much more clearly now, um, you know, and it's, it's refreshing to know that there's other people out there, we're going to sort of carry the burden of understanding those other areas. Right. And so I think that's why you, you and I like, you know, align so, so easily is just because, you know, I'm interested in talking about uh, tattoo pricing, tattoo business and marketing. And, yeah. um, you know, you're interested in talking about a whole other side of that. It's like, okay, let's say you get really good at business. You know, what do you do with all of the other uh, fruits of those efforts? Right. And um, yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I still struggle with that myself. So I, yeah, I do I was, as well. <laughs> I always tell yeah. people like, I'm, I, yeah, I'm, I am a licensed financial advisor. And what you, what I had to do to get that qualification is like, it's a weird test. It's written by lawyers. It's designed to like trick you. And it's really about financial law and to make sure mm. that you don't um, like hurt people or risk their money in a way that they're not comfortable with. But right. um, I, I, I actually tell people I'm, I'm not good with money. <laughs> and what I am good, in fact, I, I don't like dealing with money. And so what I'm good at is I'm good at building systems that deal with money for me. So mm -hmm. I don't have to. And that is, it, it came out of my frustration. Money is frustrating. I'm sure you can relate to all, you know, just, and when it comes to even just waiting on the phone with the bank, uh, you know, building patience to have to get through to someone to deal with some you know, and so we just avoid it. And I feel like that, that was who I was for a long time. I just avoided dealing with money. Mm -hmm. um, and then when I opened a studio was when I realized, okay, I have to face this. Um, right. And then that slowly built up. And then I, you know, 
got weirdly interested in the topic of money. I, I think that's what you said on the, the launch pad is like, we, we have this shared interest in the, the realm of money and what is it to people? Um, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, I got some interesting news today. Hmm. I have COVID-19 again. <laughs> mm -hmm. I feel like you're doing a commercial for COVID-19. No, it's true. Yes, I, I have it. It's wonderful. Let me tell you, <laughs> right now is my first little hint of the nose drainage. It All wasn't right. a factor before, but now it is. So we're going to see how this goes. But okay. um, I, it's good to know. <laughs> I'm glad we're doing this over Zoom. Yeah, it's perfect timing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not, I'm not contagious through Zoom. I guess I'm stuck at the house now. You know, I've got to cancel a few appointments early next week. I'm going to go look up um, and see what the rules are again. Right, right. About this. But I, you know, I'm, I'm like double, triple vaccinated. The last time I had it was like December of 2020. Okay. And um, I got it from my my daughter, my youngest of three. Um, yeah, that's where I got it when I zero. when I got yeah. COVID. It was from my daughter as well. Daycare. But we were in uh, we were in Disney World up until like two days ago, and uh, the you know my daughter was um, you know showing some cold symptoms. Yeah. We're all sleeping, you know, in close quarters. Um, you know, all five of my family members plus their grandmother was with us you know for like five straight days of theme park right and uh and then the very day that we got home my my wife like starts having symptoms she does a covid test positive right and then Boom. i'm like okay i'm next you know yeah so here we are all hey. right well your your symptoms will progress as the conversation progresses yeah by the end of this i'll i'll be dead i guess yeah <laughs> wonderful <laughs> <Let's hope not. laughs> Okay, so I'll try to remember to mute myself if I decide that I want to cough or clear my throat or whatever. But um, blow your nose real loud. The, back to the conversation. You can yeah. Um, you can leave this in or edit it out either way. Um, <laughs> we can decide later for sure. Um, so when did when do you feel like there was a point? Like I I can look at like maybe a couple points in my tattooing career where something happened and I decided, okay, I need to like, look at the money conversation a little bit more closely. Do you feel like that's something that gradually happened for you? Or were there certain um, periods or things, situations that cause you to look at your own finances a little differently? Oh, man, I, I really kicked that can down the road for like all of my 20s, right? Like, so I started tattooing when I was 19. And I was taught by the, the person that apprenticed me and the, the people that were around at the time, which um, the, the whole business of tattooing, I guess the pirate version is what I was yeah. taught where, you know, we were all 1099s and, um, you know, it was up to us to like save for our own taxes and to report our own income. And there was very little like guidance about how to do that. Um, so I was kind of left on my own for a few years. Um, until I started to become like more and more worried about, you know, the fact that I didn't really know what to do. Um, and so I, I think that was probably by the time I'm 25 or so, I think I had managed to climb out of the credit card debt that I had um, buried myself in, you know, during, during the whole apprenticeship time. Like I remember getting my first credit card offer when I was going off to college. It was like, congratulations, you graduated high school. Here's a credit card, you know? Right. 
then you're like, cool. You know, I can, I could charge 500 bucks on here. And then like a year later, you're, they're like, you can charge a thousand. And I'm like, cool. That's enough for a tattoo kit, you know? So, right. <laughs> so I, I got my Spalding and Rogers tattoo kit and that was like, you know, 1997, 98 ish. And so started tattooing out of my dorm room and, and, you know, I could, I could see that, you know, I, I was going to be able to make huge money. Like, you know, I could make like $75 for a tattoo. You know? Big, so big like money. Yeah. Easy, easy to, you know, as soon as I, I can just get a little better at this, you know, I can just use the credit cards to float. So I would, I would do the whole, like, you know, get, take the new offer for the credit card yeah. that lets you transfer, transfer the balance, balance. Yeah. And get rid of the, uh, you know, cause, cause I'd also always just, you know, miss a payment, not because I didn't have the money, but because I just didn't have good systems of accountability right. for myself. So I'd miss the payment and then the, you know, the, the maximum interest, interest rate the would balance, kick in. Yeah. yeah. And, and then, so it became, you know, bigger and bigger and bigger as I kept just pushing, like I said, kicking that can down the road. And, um, so by the time the, you know, apprenticeship era was over and I could start to sort of like try to figure out how to get out of this. I, I think it was up to like 20, 25,000. Wow. That's impressive. And, and fucking credit card debt. And you know, um, you know what I view like offering college students credit cards to me, it's like, uh, someone saying, here's, here's this samurai sword. Okay. It is very sharp. And if you know what you're doing with it, you can do something really beautiful, really incredible. But if you don't know what you're doing, you're going to slice the shit out of yourself. And I feel like that's what, that's what giving a, a college student a credit card is. You're giving them this like power tool mm -hmm. uh, with immense possibility. And I'm, I'm impressed that you, you used it to invest and in, you leveraged debt to increase your earning potential. So that's something I, I always, I, mm. I leveraged debt in my career to increase my earning potential oh, man. many times. You just totally reframed this whole story for me. Like I thought it was like a a terrible thing that I did. And now you're no, like, no, oh, no, man, you no. did it right. Like <laughs> Yeah, you you did. Honestly, yeah. I really actually think you did do that right. You kind of stumbled into doing it right. Um, but then you missed the payment. I also made and some mistakes though, because like my um my boss at the time, he didn't have a credit card. And we we needed to order supplies and needed a credit card. So he would say, Russ, <laughs> let me just give you the 200 bucks. Right. You order this on your credit card and, and you will be good. So then I had this cash, but I didn't pay off the credit card with it. And right. that was part of how I got into this problem. Grew in interest. And right. I, I'd imagine the, uh, the principal on that 20 K of debt was, you know, maybe even half. Like, yeah, like half of that problem, was probably just right? interest. Like, yeah. Right. It just gets to the point where there's no way you can, you know, actually pay off the minimums each month yeah uh, or you can pay the minimums but you can't you know get rid of the balance so debt is an, an so. interesting topic and i i some people in the finance world are very much like don't carry debt don't use debt um stay away from debt right mm -hmm. I, I weirdly enough i've tattooed several people in finance like some pretty like hedge fund managers people up in jp morgan i, I just they somehow the universe put us in touch and, and they became financial mentors to me and right. I remember um, tattooing this one client who does very, very well for himself. He used to pay me to go to his lovely brownstone in Park Slope and tattoo him at his house because he just didn't want to come all the way 30 minutes to my studio. Uh, and he was happy to pay whatever to have me come tattoo him there. So, but he would yeah. teach me a lot. And he, he said, the only way, I'm probably botching a little bit, but like the only way to build real wealth 
is to use debt wisely. Mm. And then he gave me an example where he had an investment portfolio that was worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. And he didn't need to sell any of his stocks. He actually borrowed money at a very low interest rate as with the collateral was the investment account. Right. Uh, maybe it was 3%. And then he invested it in uh, real estate. He bought an apartment with no, none of his own money. He borrowed all the money against his investments, used mm -hmm. none of his own money to buy the apartment, rented out the apartment and paid back the loan and earned more, much more than the interest rate. So it was like, these things, I don't even, it, it was just this concept of like, oh, wow, debt is a power tool. Right. Yeah. And then almost everyone listening who's a tattoo artist is like, but you, you rewind that a little bit. Like, how did you get to the first part right. where you could even get the debt extended to you? Right, right. Right. So, so how do we, how, how do our listeners um, put themselves in that position? Right. So there's, there's a foundation that uh, I believe everyone to get to that point, you need to have some sort of a foundation. Uh, and I, I, I believe that is having some system. Like you were saying, you didn't have anything to hold you accountable at all. Right. Um, and, uh, and that's very much a, a lot of what my work revolves around. Um, and, I, you know, and we were talking about, I will be doing this workshop and I, I won't get into it a lot today because I'm just curious to hear more about your story. But um, yeah, yeah it, it, it's, it's a workshop on building that foundation where your taxes are being saved for your emergency savings, right? You, you need a, a pile of money to just sleep on every night so that you don't stress out about your bills. Uh, and then making sure your living expenses and um, you know, your personal expenses are separated so that it's not confusing. Right. And then once you have this sort of financial foundation, then you can start saving money, investing money in assets that earn you more money. And that's how you get there, right? If you don't have the emergency savings, you can't invest because you're taking too much risk. If you don't know where your money's going, if you don't have something to hold you accountable and make sure your, your credit cards and your other bills are paid for on time, um, you can't, you don't, you don't, you have a flimsy foundation. So that's, right. that's what I would say is like, how do you get to that point? You start right. at square one, wax on, wax off. And and that is the only way that that's possible. I think it's entirely possible for tattooers, even tattooers earning under $100,000 a year to build a foundation and reach those financial goals. Um, okay. I know it's possible because I've done it myself. I was never a famous tattooer uh, or, you know, I was never books closed uh, at any point mm -hmm. in my career, but I had a solid system. That's fantastic. Well, you know, and I think that, me personally, I would benefit from, um, it, it may be the case that I've, I've uh, gotten so much more complex than your, um, your average um, you know, target client for this, but I still feel like I would benefit from taking your workshop. You know, I, would, I would really, um, I would like to understand you know, how to automate you know, the systems around money, paying the bills on time, which used to get me, you know, um, yeah. you know, and just how, how to, you know, save for taxes without feeling the pain of having to transfer the, the money from one place to the other all the time. Like so you are know, your, the more are that you your... can sort of make these things happen behind the scenes, like, right. So I can stay focused on, you know, I like to focus on making the money. I'm, I'm very fortunate that my wife is willing 
and has been willing to take on the burden of you know the 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 sort of like bookkeeping side of it you know and, mm. and she, she's always coming to me and reminding me hey ross you know you used to like miss your credit card payments and you know how long it's been since the abbott family missed a credit card payment you know <laughs> we have a lot of credit cards right um you're like that's but, exciting you know it doesn't happen anymore and, yeah. and you know we, you know of course we we pay off everything every month and the credit card companies hate us they just keep raising the minimums up they're like right. let me give you a little bit more rope to hang yourself because you don't seem to want to do it right there was an interesting like, oh, uh there's a netflix um something i i can't remember what it's called i can maybe post it, something about it later but it, it was a it was a talk on money and one and one of the things was debt and they talk mm -hmm. about how credit card companies absolutely hate people that just pay their balance off every month because they make yeah. no money on you and it doesn't even will. kind of ding your credit score a little bit like there's some that's, you know some, that's, maybe there's um, like sort of a fine line of how much you want to carry just to kind of improve your credit score for some reason hey i'm gonna get right back to the rest of my conversation with russ abbott but i wanted to check in with everyone listening and ask are you feeling trapped in the pirate life is all that swashbuckling and scurvy keeping you from achieving your financial goals Seriously though, I do know that dealing with money is challenging for tattoo artists and anyone earning an irregular income. Dealing with taxes, paying all your bills, trying to save up for retirement or for buying a house on top of everything else that you're dealing with as a freelance artist is pretty overwhelming. And if you are about that pirate life, it's gonna be difficult to get a loan for a house or invest money for the future. Regardless of your income level, saving money is challenging for everyone. Do you ever think to yourself, hey, I can totally buy that whatever and just make that money back in one or two tattoos? Meanwhile, you should have been saving that money for taxes, emergencies, and a retirement fund. We all do it, even myself, which is why I have a system that saves and manages money for me and separates my taxes, my savings, my living expenses like rent and bills from my personal money. And that way, I can spend money without guilt knowing that the important things are being saved for. Without a system, it seems like the money you earn just slips through the cracks, never to be seen again. This can easily cost you thousands, if not tens of thousands of dollars per year, like it was costing me before I had a system in place. Any of this sounding familiar? If so, I wanna share a hard truth with you. Long-term financial goals like buying a house or saving for retirement often require you to save 10 to 20% of your income every week, every month, every year for decades. And without a system in place, this is nearly impossible. Why am I telling you all this? It isn't just to scare you. It is to tell you that there is an easier way to deal with money. So if you're interested in saving more and stressing less, I'm actually offering a live online course where I'll be teaching tattooers how to set up their own automated money system. This course starts on June 27th, 2022, and it runs for about seven weeks. I'm not only gonna show you what to do, I'm gonna help you take action so that you actually do it. There is a link in the description that will take you to a page where you can learn more about what this online course entails, or you can check out my website, theartfuldollar.com, and click on Pirate 2 Professional. That's the name of this course. All right, now let's get back to Russ. Certain amount. So your your uh, credit utilization um, mm -hmm. is, you know, you want to keep that under, I think, 30% is generally. So let's say you have a credit card limit of $5,000. 
um, or let's let's keep it simple. Let's say you have a credit card sum of one thousand dollars. You mm. want to keep under three hundred dollars of actual usage on the card. When you go above that thirty percent into the fifty percent, that actually lowers your credit score. Right, right. That totally makes sense. And then you know something that a lot of people, you know, people dealing with uh, say student loans or other you know, debts that maybe take a long time, even even a car payment is a, a debt that counts towards your debt to income ratio. Mm-hmm. So it's not the amount of debt that you have. So let's say you wanted to buy a house. Um, this is something I work, a lot of people, they come to me like, I, I want to own a house one day. I don't know how to do that. Um, I have student loans. I have all this going on. You know, I've been living that pirate life. How do I get to the point where the bank will loan me hundreds of thousands of dollars. And so one of those things to look at is what's your debt to income ratio? What that's, that's the monthly payment you make on your student loan, your car debt, your credit card. How much are you paying per month? It's not the total amount of debt. It's how much, uh, what is your monthly payment versus how much money you make in a month. And so that also, they want to keep under about 30%. Right. Uh, and so you, just, you just pointed to the, the major problem with the pirate life now is that you're in this moment where you want to prove that you've made enough money. Right. Right. And yeah. um, you've, you've, you know, maybe, you know, you've been, uh, well, you've been pirating, I guess. There's yeah, way you've been pirating. We'll, we'll, call, <laughs> we'll call it pirating. We're not going to yeah. get into Yeah, you there, just, you know, so the thing is like- life. You've been, you've been yeah. on the ship, you got your, uh, right. your eye patch on and uh, yeah. Yeah, you've got- it's all under your mattress somewhere and you know, you don't know what to do with it. So, right. So if that pirate out there on the open seas is, uh, mm-hmm. you know, keeping his, his booty in, in the chest under his bed, right. He might avoid paying what 25% or 30% somewhere in that range to, mm-hmm. to taxes, right. That's what that pirate out there is trying to do. He's trying to skirt the system. Mm-hmm. Um, but then when he's ready to purchase a house, um, the, the bank will generally loan you two to 300 times what your, your income, you know, is, you know, percent on your income, not times, but you know, the percentage of your income. So if you make a hundred K a year, the bank will likely loan you 200 to $300,000 to purchase mm-hmm. a house somewhere in that ballpark. Generally, it's not enough. Um, it's not Doesn't enough to be enough anymore. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's not enough. So not only that you ha- you have to have a nice down payment. You have to have mm-hmm. assets that you can back it up. But yeah, right. if, you're, if, you, if it's all underneath your mattress, you can't show the bank any of that. They don't care. They don't care right. that you say you have a duffel bag full of money. Uh, and then if you do have any debt and your income is like, you know, you're, you're kind of skirting the system, then it increases your debt to income ratio. And then they're like, well, I'm not going to loan you any money because right. you owe your monthly payments exceed your the ratio that we're comfortable with loaning you this money so it's like you you get the initial benefit you get the immediate gratification of uh the pirate life but uh it hurts you down the line and so that's something i think everyone a lot of artists in general not just tattooers but artists in general are getting into their 30s and realizing like you know i I might want to retire one day i might want to own a house what does that look like right yeah well, there's one new thing that's happening that I think is is kind of causing a ripple, if not a wave in that in the in the gig economy um, world, right? Where you yeah. know people are taking payments through uh, Venmo, PayPal, you know, Cash App or whatever, right? Like 
is in there. Um, I don't know if you're aware of the, the new rules with that, where, you know, the um, basically, you know, PayPal is going to is going to tell the government that you've made all this money when in the past, maybe they, they didn't or something. Yeah. I'm not sure, but I, you know, it's, it's got a lot of, a lot of people, you know, who are relying on those sorts of sources, trying to go back to the people who pay them and saying, remember, you got to pay me as friends and family so that, right. you know, so that I don't have to pay taxes. And it's, it's, I mean, to me, when I, when I hear that as a, um, as a person who is completely above board with all of my taxes and man, I pay a lot of taxes. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's just kind of funny to me because, you know, that the whole mindset of thinking that you have to do this as a tattoo artist comes from the earlier mindset of people wouldn't pay me more for what I do mm -hmm. than they are paying me now. And so mm -hmm. I have to find, you know, and, and that's just not true, but it, a lot of tattoo artists think that it's true and therefore they feel like they have to come up with some other way to make it all work. Right. And so, yeah. and, and, and that's, that, that's like one you, of the big problems I like that I want to solve. Bring up know? like mindset. And I, I, I want to, I, I, I kind of know, I have some idea of kind of where, what you're talking about, like in terms of like how they're pricing. Um, mm -hmm. That's a really, you and I've had a lot of great conversations about that. And I want to ask you about that, but just bringing up mindset. And it's something I hear so many tattooers talking about with uh, PayPal and then Venmo and then, oh, if you know, pay me this way, pay me that way. I'll take cryptocurrency. They're like trying to make it so confusing. Mm -hmm. And I've been taking pretty strictly credit cards for five plus years. Like I, I take some cash, but like n so much of my income comes from credit cards. When you, here's my perspective and you can, people can do with this what they want. When you reduce the friction involved in receiving money, Right. So rather than saying, oh, can you pay me PayPal, but make sure you do pay, you know, it's like this added weird step. If you could just make it easy for your client to just pay you, mm -hmm. it's, a, it, it's like this energy flow, right? Money is this flow of energy. It's flowing around us. There's so much money around us all yeah, the totally time. I hear you on that. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not like you can't find the money. It's just you need to remove the blocks, the things right. that make it hard for you to receive money into your life. And when you do that, money just flows in. You reminded me of some, you know, an experience that I had that was, I think, transform, transformational in my, um, my journey to understanding that. And um, it was when I did my first Kickstarter. I've done two. Mm. But in the early days of Kickstarter, I used that platform, which, you know, people don't know. It's a crowdfunding platform. I think everyone probably knows what it is now. But at the time, it was new. And I wanted to make a book. And I'd figured out that to make this book I wanted to make, it was going to cost roughly, you know, maybe $15,000 to print a thousand copies of this book and have all of my artwork, you know, the graphic design portion of it, everything. And so I made a Kickstarter campaign, you know, had a video created, made a really, you know, great Kickstarter page with all the best practices in mind. And I went out and I, I shared this with, my social media. It's a 30 day campaign. I think my goal was to raise maybe 15 K Kickstarter has an app. And when you have the app on your phone and you're in the middle of your Kickstarter campaign, it's a little bit like 
you know, posting a, a tattoo that you think is going to like get a lot of comments and likes and you're it's like, <laughs> so you post it up and then like, you know, a minute later, you're like, pull out your phone and like hit refresh, you know, to see if anyone liked Wait, it or you, commented you on it. You do that, Russ? You I, don't do I have that. This problem. Yeah, I do. <laughs> it's uh, it's a burden, but um, the, the Kickstarter app is like that, but with money. Right. Yeah, so it's yeah, like, yeah. you know, um, <laughs> so on that first day, I mean, it completely blew my mind, you know, and it wasn't because it, it was because of the efforts that I'd made in the previous, you know, six months leading up to that day, right? You the know, build to, up, yeah. to line all these pieces up and then to kind of just like knock over the first domino. Yeah. And, um, but the experience was incredible, you know, like I, I think the, the goal of the campaign was met in less than 48 hours and i still had 28 more days to go <laughs> wow right? and that's incredible um, yeah so i mean like you know what we're talking about here is is refreshing and seeing 50 dollars refreshing 100 dollars 50 more dollars you know yeah and you know and by the time it was all done the number I think for the ornamental archive Kickstarter, my first one was somewhere in like the 50,000s range, wow. um, you know, enough to print way more books. Um, I had sold way more books and pre-ordered way more books through this process, but yeah, yeah. Um, you know, enough, enough to completely hook me on the idea of, you know, trying to do that again. Right. Right. And, and, you know, I think that that was, you know, not the first time I'd made a product, but it was the first time that I had made something that people wanted to buy. Right. And, yeah. and that I had, I'd found a way to, um, you know, put the opportunity to buy that thing in front of the people who wanted to buy it. And I was, I was reaping the benefits of that. And, but it and sounds like, it, it sounds like you also put in months of preparation, marketing. Like, I know that's something you, you read a lot about, about marketing, how to market. Um, something we've talked a lot about too, is like copywriting and, and selling, um, every single bit of it, you know, like it, it's, it's multifaceted and it's not, what I'm saying is it's not just the book. all of it on your own, right? It's no, not just no, the no, book no, was so not. great. And then it sold itself. That's not what happened. Right? No. I mean, and part of it was the, the fact that Kickstarter itself was a, a concept that was kind of new to people. So you could say, I mean, you're using the emotional power of, I have a dream. I want to make this thing. I've done all this work to present the opportunity that I would like for you, my, my fans, my audience, even my family members, you know, my sister bought the most expensive package with the book. And I'm like, why are Go you sis. doing this? You know, but <laughs> okay, thank you. You know, but yeah. like, um, you know, it, the, the power of, I have a, a dream to make this thing and I'm asking for your help. And the, you know, the reward of, of helping is that, you know, six months from now, when the thing exists, you'll, you'll get one. Yeah. And, and I think that was, that was just such a, a amazing idea in the concept that, that crowdfunding, you know, rests upon. And now we're, you know, that's, that's totally, you know, normal. And, and maybe yeah. it's, it's sort of like, it's sort of lost a little bit of that, that power and punch because, you know, some companies just do Kickstarters over and over and over again. It's like, right. just, that's how they release a product. But you know, at the time, you know, it was a new concept, you know, people were going to Kickstarter for the first time right. from our there social was, media posts. I think you mentioned there's this, there was this emotional interest or pull or intrigue that 
yeah kind of helped it right. and now maybe with kickstarter but then you know what's the next thing but I, I i think you're bringing that up too tying it into this you opened your channel you opened yourself up to receive right well i started saying to energy. people after this i was i and no one ever understands it it feels like no one gets it when i say this but it makes sense to me i just i like to quickly comment that money isn't real right you know we've been off the gold standard right for a long time and maybe you can help me to fill in the blanks of why this means so much to me but sure it's it's sort of my mantra when it comes to money is that it's not real you know and it's, it's it's i mean maybe you're saying it better with your flow analogy but the the concept is essentially the same you know if you open up yourself to receive it and you understand the power that govern it then you can create magnets that attract it and you can right. certainly create magnets that repel it as well. And, right. Um, so, so <laughs> I think I, I a hundred percent agree with you. Money isn't real. So then, well, if money is not real, then what is it? Right. So what people it always is, say, well, it's really real when you don't have enough of it, you know, right. when you're, when you're but unable to you afford a at, meal. If you look at what money is, uh, it's a story that we all agree is true. Mm -hmm. Right. We all right. agree with the story. Now we all have different versions or different interpretations of the story, right? We can all read the same book and have, uh, I can say, oh, that book's a horrible book. It's evil. It's terrible. It has a bad message. You can say, what are you talking about? I love that book or that movie or, you know, so money is a story. We all have our interpretation of that story. And it's that interpretation that gives us our experience of money. That's, mm. that's been my experience. And I, in my early 20s, um, I used to, uh, when I was at FIT studying jewelry, I dated this uh, girl uh, who came from a very wealthy family. And it was sort of my first time uh, kind of experiencing wealth in that mm. like, like private island wealth, you know, right. um, Maserati <laughs> wealth that I had never known. I didn't know anything about, I didn't know. When I started dating her, it was getting to be cold, it was becoming winter. And I just wore more hoodies. I just, I was mm. wearing four hoodies. I didn't own a winter coat. She was like, I cannot be seen in public with a guy <laughs> that has four hoods hanging out the back. <laughs> this is not, you know, and she like took me to a store and dropped thousands of dollars on a wardrobe. I was like, this is insane. I've never experienced that. Right. Um, yeah. But she was also so miserable around money. Like money just mm -hmm. made her. And, and I remember thinking like, money's evil. You know, money's this mm -hmm. evil thing. See, this is someone that really incredible person. I'm not speaking poorly of her and her family. They were wonderful to me, but mm -hmm. um, there was so much suffering around it. And I was just like, money's evil. You know, it's bad. And growing up, you going to the punk shows and anti-capitalist stuff. Um, and I, you know, I'm someone that I've invested more than any other investment in my life. I've invested in myself. I've invested in mm -hmm. courses, um, you know, programs, things to open my mind up and transform the way I view the world. And that's been the best investment I made. And, and what I got from one of those courses was realizing that money is a story. My story about money being evil or bad or the cause, I used to think money is the root of all evil, you know, and you can trace every bad, painful thing in the world back to money as being the cause. That's how I felt. Yeah. Uh, that wasn't going to get me anywhere. It wasn't going to help me, right? It would, it would get me somewhere. It just wouldn't get me where I wanted to be. Right. Um, and so I, uh, my mantra 
And this is my story. And this isn't the truth, right? We all have our own mantra, even if we're not aware of it. My old mantra was money's evil. I didn't realize that was my mantra, but it was. But my Mm -hmm. new mantra is money is a flow of energy. It flows to me and it flows away from me. And my only job is to not block the flow. I love that. So I don't have to find money or create money or figure out how to do, you know, I just have to see how am I blocking the flow of money in my life? Am I trying to get someone to pay me through some weird system that doesn't make sense because I'm trying to skirt something? Or can I actually just be 100% upfront and pay my taxes and take credit card payments and borrow money and leverage debt to build my income? Right. You know, it, it's, it's all a story. One of the things that you know, I've been trying to help tattoo artists, um, whether they're you know, in my studio or outside of that, I, you know, at this point, it expands to all tattoo artists in the world, you know, like I'm on a mission to help tattoo artists figure out, you know, how to be more comfortable charging more for their work so that they can provide a better service to the customer. Yeah. So that they can do better tattoos so that the world can get better tattoos. Right. <laughs> and there might be a few more so that's, but I think it's essentially like it, to me, like, maybe this is uh i'm sure there's more dimensions to the problem but a major piece of the problem that i see with the tattoo business is that tattoo artists don't know how to think about pricing and they just keep doing it the way that they were told that we do it and there hasn't been great guidance and mentorship and leadership from within tattooing up to this point that i'm aware of that, you know, is giving them another, another model to follow. So I think that's, you know, that's, that's a big core of, you know, my sort of transition from, you know, I'm I'm still the, the digital design guy, I'm still the CEO of Tattoo Smart, and that's still what we do. But I've really tried to expand our scope um, to include business and pricing and marketing, and all the things that are sort of wrapped up really in the question of how do we find a way to capture more value for ourselves as artists in studios so that we can continue to expand our offerings for customers. I like that you're, well, I just, what I hear you saying and what I really like, first of all, I really like that you're declaring, like I'm, I'm, my mission is to help people charge what they choose to charge to free themselves, to charge what they like. Uh, And you're, you're, you know, when we first talked, you were, sharing with me sort of these limitations that you saw within Mm -hmm. the pricing model, like how tattooers view how they can and can't charge what they can and can't charge for. Uh, Mm -hmm. One of those things being the design, which I never, I never thought about charging for the design. It just wasn't on my radar. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, I, when, when you shared, and I'm, you know, I'd love to hear kind of more about that even um, because it blew my mind, honestly, it really did. Yeah. it, It blows my mind too. Um, because I, I learned how to price a tattoo from the people I learned it from, and they learned it from the people they learned it from. Right. And I guess we all imagine that at some point, you know, some really uh, smart people got together with strategists and, you know, accountants or something and figured out the best way to do it. And um, the fact of the matter is that's not possible, you know, because I think where, what we did was more natural. It happened when, you know, let's rewind the clock to when, you know, tattoo artists, you know, like Sailor Jerry is sitting in his, in his studio 
in, uh, in, in Honolulu, right? And he's tattooing sailors coming off a ship. So, so the tattoo business at that point, you know, the we got the flash on the wall, we're lining them up, you know, we're trying to get as many done in as, in as quickly as we can. And we're, we're, we're capturing what we can from them at that moment. And we're, we're, you know, they have a certain amount that they can spend and they're all talking to each other about what it should cost. And we're kind of just dealing with that, you know? And I, I think that there were probably tattoo artists at that time who were, you know, more willing to try to take advantage of the customer you know, and get the most out of them that they could, um, you know, at, at a certain point, you know, we, we got to a place where you know, it, it was more about the art, right? Like people like um, Ed Hardy come into the picture and, you know, they're coming from this, they're seeing tattooing and they're like, oh my God, like it could be so much more artistic. It could be so much more, in, you know, amazing and impressive. And, you know, and a, and a person in that position, has something to prove on the unlike the art side right they're they're just trying you know it, it's like i have to do this work for it doesn't matter about the money i just have to do this work and i think a lot of us are in that role early in our career where we just have to prove that we can do it and and you know having to deal with getting them to also pay for it you know is a challenge to to us in that moment right so you know but why of, and like why is it a challenge um, it's a, it's a challenge because we believe that we're not as good as we should be and that we shouldn't be charging as much as the next person. But I mean, it, it goes deeper than that, but you know, I, I'm just staying on the, uh, the thread that I was on. Yeah. I just think what I was trying to say is that, you know, there was never a, a council or, you know, a think tank that I'm aware of that ever formed to sort of like look at the tattoo business what actually happened was just a whole lot of independent, you know, things happen, you know, happened over time and we sort of settled on a standard, right? And when I was taught how it works in 1998 in the Atlanta, Georgia area, I was told that, you know, we can, we can price the tattoo. Um, if it's like a flash piece or something, we can just tell them a price. Um, you know, but if you're going to need a formula in order to help you understand what price you should say, so use $100 an hour, and you just have to think, well, how long is it going to take me? And then you sort of do a quick little like calculation in your head. And then you say, well, it's gonna, I think it's going to take two hours. So it'll be 200. You know, are you, are you good at knowing how long a tattoo is going to take you? No, I'm terrible at it. Because <laughs> I'm right? not, I've never yeah, been good at it. Terrible at it. So I, I quickly um, stopped you, doing that. And I'm that. assuming you underestimate how long it's going to take you. Of course, right. So and, you and, also, and also we're told for some reason that we can't charge for the time that we spend setting up, even though we're setting up tools that cost us money and time to create. Right. At that point, we're making needles, right? But right. We're, we're not spending able our time for that. either prepping or doing the right. tattoo, but we're still, it's all involved in making or the tattoo. Or drawing happen. it, right? Or, yeah. yeah. All of those things, we're just supposed to throw that into this $100 an hour that we're going to build a customer. And, and at that time, it feels like a lot because I'm coming from a job where I was delivering pizzas and I was, I was stoked when I walked away with $100 for a shift. Right. When, right. when my take was a hundred dollars for a shift, I was, I was pumped. Now at the tattoo shop, I was on a 50, 50 split and I was purchasing all my own supplies and all those things. But, um, you know, it was possible. I could generate the same amount as I made delivering pizzas, doing art and having this awesome 
career in his career. So it was, it was like, at first it was just a, a break even split, right. you know, from delivering pizzas to tattooing, but I was doing something cool, you know? Yeah. And, um, yeah, we, we just, we just all kept doing that, you know, like the hourly yeah. rate slowly creeped up for some, it didn't, but you know, that was 1998, you know, I think it with a simple, you know, inflation calculation and that, that hundred dollars an hour should be roughly 150 an hour. Now, if, yeah. if I'd never gotten any better at tattooing, right. Right. Become, right. The product know, stayed the same and we just stayed the same. Then inflation. I be, right. Yeah. And that's why, you know, and that's why it's so painful for me to see that the average price for a tattoo by the hour in the United States is still very close to $150 an hour, which means right. when the quality people, has exploded, the materials we use, everything has grown exponentially in terms of the financial investment, but the price has just uh, held up with inflation. That's it. Yeah. I'm gonna, I think in some cases it hasn't, it just depends on the individual, whether or not right, they've, right. they've, they've understood inflation because I, what I've seen is, you know, artists going years without raising their price and then sort of feeling nervous, you know, they, they might be at say $150 an hour. And, you know, I'm looking at their work and assessing them to be a $250 an artist, an hour artist. Right. And I know that at Ink and Dagger, this same artist can, can bill this much an hour because I've seen it happen so many times. I believe it's possible. And I, and sure. I believe it all that it takes is for them to just be comfortable with it and to allow us to, you know, to market them. So, and, and, you, know, you know, put them in our wrapper. Right. But, right. but they're, they're always going to try to negotiate, you know, incremental steps that take one, two, three years to get to that point, you know? Right. And so, and so I, it, it's actually the most fun that I've been able to have with this is the times when I've just convinced people to skip that and just do, do the hard thing, rip the bandaid off yeah, and just, you know, test you don't have to go to your whole Instagram and say, Hey, new announcement. I was 150 an hour. Now I'm 250 an hour. Right. That's terrible. Don't do that. No, don't you know, do but, that. Yeah. But the next time you have I've a never, conversation. I've never announced it in that way. Right. I, I no. have, I have a newsletter, uh, not a newsletter. I, I did have an email list one time when I raised my prices, I, I let my email cause all my clients fill out a form. Uh, and mm. so I collect their email and you know, I, I didn't have a newsletter or anything. I just emailed my list and said, Hey everyone, new year, these are some changes. These are some things that I'm up to, by the way, I'm going to be raising my prices in X date. And here's what I'm going to do. If you want to lock in at the current rate, I'll let you book an appointment for any point in the next six months or something. Mm -hmm. Right. This is my one strategy I used when I raised my prices. Um, so I kind of gave them some heads up, but gave them the opportunity if they really wanted to pay my current rate to lock that in. Um, and then after that, I just raised my prices and I didn't tell anyone and I just did mm -hmm. it. And that, that it, I felt like I needed to let people know or something, but I don't right. think I did. I, it was, yeah, in a way that I feel eye, like that's, yeah. that's another energy flow blocker that you put out right. there. It's just like, I'm uncomfortable with this. Therefore, no. I'm going to make you have to, you know, respond and tell me that, no, nah, man, you're worth it. You know, <laughs> I'd pay anything for your work. And, and that that's, you know, that's literally not something that you had to do. And what I recommend is, you know, for those that are feeling uncomfortable about it is, is to reduce down to individual conversations, right? Like just, you know, step one, the next time that you talk to a customer, just let the words come out of your mouth, right? Like I, I charge 250 an hour 
and and then like they're gonna say okay or they're gonna say i'm not comfortable with that and you know you can you can have that conversation again and again and again and eventually over the average you know people that appreciate that you're the the best tattoo artist for them because you've demonstrated your expertise in your portfolio and the way you've marketed yourself and the confidence with which you you know present yourself yeah you know they're they're not um, going to have a money conversation with you it's this is not even necessary so yeah i i was having a conversation a couple years ago with a a really good really talented tattoo artist really good friend of mine and um she had raised her prices, I think to like 350 an hour at the time. And I was like, wow, like, oh my God. And she's like, you know what people, first of all, she's a really fast tattooer. So there's that, right. You know, you can get a big project done in a shorter amount of time. Uh, but she said, um, you know, people almost valued her tattoos more because they were paying more. They were almost more excited. And she said it was weird. And she said that they actually started tipping her more. Mm-hmm. because she was charging more there it just in and it's this weird thing of like does someone value their tattoo more does someone actually like does it hold more energy meaning to them because they invested a thousand dollars versus five hundred dollars i don't know i mean there, there might be i it very well might you know on the other side of that one of the things that we see a lot is there's the price that someone says they charge you know, and most tattoo artists do bill hourly. Right. So we're, we'll focus on that. But there's the price that they say they charge. And then there's the price that they do charge. Yes. You know, at the end of the session, when, you know, they've, they've calculated the time in whatever way they calculated it, we found that when we really looked at the numbers and the data at Ink and Dagger, we found that, you know, there might be an artist that said they charge $200 an hour. But when you actually looked at the time that they, you know, spent working, they were clearly not doing that. Instead, 28 bucks an hour. (laughs) They just, you know, they were just, there were um, numbers that they just liked to say, right? You could go through in in, any one artist, you know, sort of data and you could just spot, oh man, this artist really likes the number 450, right? Mm -hmm, They just mm -hmm. love it. It doesn't matter if they charge, you know, if they tattoo for two hours or five hours, they just like 450. Yeah. And, um, you know, I turn that data back around and show them and say, look, like, you know, here's, here's what you did. Here's what you could have done. Yeah. If you just simply did what you were supposed to do, would you mind just letting our support staff, you know, price your work so that you can see that this is all possible and you can relieve yourself of the, you know, I remember, I remember specifically the first time I charged someone over a thousand dollars for one session. I, do too. I remember it. Yeah. It stood <laughs> yeah. out. It, it was a moment. And I remember like the words, it was so hard for it, the words to pass through my vocal cords yeah. and out of my yeah. mouth. A thousand. Like, Let, let's everyone, everyone who's listening right now, we just want you to say it out loud. $1,000. $1,000. That Thousands are the new hundreds, $1, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. $1,000. Yes. I can do that. <laughs> Try $2,000. Yeah. 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 2000 yeah. And now I uh, regularly charge. still get stuck a little bit. For a little me. bit. Yeah. Where's your number? Right. Where's, where do you get stuck? That tattoo will be $10,000. 10,000, $10,000. Oof. Yeah. It feels what weird. does that say about my, my, my <laughs> ego though? If I, if I say that it's worth $10,000, what does that say about my ego? But and also what will my peers think of me? And right. When then, they you, then you get that I charge $10,000. Yeah. And you feel guilty and then you're, you're, you're in your head about it. Um, 
it, it's it's interesting. And now and now I regularly charge over a thousand dollars for a session. It's not a problem. You know, it's really yeah. like people just kind of expect that. You know, right. But it's funny that it it like it needed practice. I I yeah. actually think I think you're onto something. I think you're like you know I'm a big fan of looking in a mirror and and using my affirmations <laughs> and just selling and and just saying yeah that that tattoo is going to be a thousand dollars. It's going to be twelve hundred dollars. It it actually yeah. you believe me it will help. Yeah, you know what you don't want to do is that'll be a thousand dollars. But I'm really fast, so it's right. going to you know it's it's going to be you know similar to this other artist who might not be as fast as me. None of that stuff is necessary. It's literally just it's the thousand. Right. There's this need to when, the minute it comes out of our mouth, it's like we need to explain it and justify it and like make you feel okay that you know I just I'm sorry I just hit you with that price. Let me uh, right soften your blow. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. None of it's really necessary. No, um, no. At least, but you know, and, and people are listening, people that are tattoo artists are listening to me say this and they're like, no, you, you're, you're just in a different, in a different sphere, right? Like you, mm. you're Russ Abbott. You have all these followers on Instagram. Everyone knows who you are. Of course it's easy for you. Um, you know, but I'm not just speaking from my own experience. I'm speaking from the experience that I've seen play out in the lives and the realities of countless tattoo artists that, you know, have listened to me and taken my advice. Right. So it's, you know, and, and you, you made the statement earlier, like I'm, I'm not, you know, some famous tattoo artist. like I'm, you know, this, this works for you too. Yeah. You know, I actually hear you saying that, that it's not actually easy for you. It took you practice as well. You're just, it's not, you're over no. here, but it, wherever you're at, if you're charging a hundred an hour, 200, three, moving up, if you're charging 10,000 an hour, moving up to 20,000 an hour is going to be difficult. You know, it, it is. that's kind of what I hear you saying is that it doesn't, it's not about your level of notoriety. It, it really just is uh, like, choose whatever you want to say, practice it. And then just start charging it and don't justify it. That's what I hear mm -hmm. you saying. And I, and I like that perspective yeah. and, and it might be challenging sure. and it is for everyone. It is. And there's some other things that are going to happen, right? Like you're, you're in a tattoo studio. Most likely there's some other people that work there that also have problems with their money mm -hmm. and have problems with their pricing. And they've got some sort of deeply held opinions that were planted there by the people that taught them about how ta tattooing works that you, you know, also I, I have had. I have right? a crazy so, story about that. Yeah. yeah I, sure. my, my apprentice, um, I'll, Mary Black, I, I taught her a tattoo. She is one of my closest friends. She's like a sister to me. She's incredible. She's only been tattooing maybe three years right now, but I'm just blown away with where she's taken her art and her career. And uh, she was doing a guest spot. I don't remember the name of the shop. It's not even worth mentioning, but she told me that um, she was charging, I think at the time, 200 an hour. And the owner of the shop had some gripe and told her that, you know, uh, for someone of your quality of work, mm. you should, you should be charging less. Mm. And I was like, Ooh, I wanted, I was so wow. mad that this woman told her that. And mm. I was like, Mary, you should be charging more than you're charging right now. Honestly, like, don't listen yeah. to that, you know? Um, yeah, man, that's, that's horrible. You know, I, 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 I think that plays out every single day in tattoo shops across the world, right? Like we are, you know, we are planting these ideas of value from a position of authority, right? Th those of us who have been tattooing longer 
are in the position to send that message to the people who have been tattooing less time that like, oh, you know, maybe when you're better, maybe when you're more expensive or may, or more experienced, right. you'll be worth more. And, and another thing that I see is, and I, I, I mentored people in shop environments where the owner of the shop has hangups about pricing. And therefore, and, and you know, they, they occupy this role where, you know, they believe that their pricing is right and they believe that and well the artists that work there don't want to you know charge as much as them because they have this personality that makes the artist around them feel like they, they really need to be less expensive than them right and yeah. so like you know so you you can have a you know a single single person whether it be the owner of the studio or a um, an artist in the area that's really looked up to by a lot of artists around like wh whatever it is like every one of us has this person this um this mentor or this artist that we really look up to and we know what they charge or we think we know what they charge and we peg our price to their price right we go, right well i'm not as good as them therefore right. i must charge less to be fair to the customer who is you know in their brain they're thinking well you know, because of course the customer is making the entire decision based on their knowledge of that artist that you look up to and you, and they're going, well, clearly this person isn't as good, meaning you, <laughs> um, <laughs> but you know, that person's too expensive. So I'm going to take the cheaper option and go with them, but that's not at all right. what's happening. Right. Like, that's just like totally a story that we told ourselves in our head. And again, but, so it's you a are, story. It's all yeah. a story. And I, I think this conversation is beautiful because we're sort of just speaking out loud the story that runs inside of our head. So mm -hmm. all that guilt, all that shame, or what is someone going to think? Or, well, if I compare it, right, we're, we're doing this weird math in our head mm -hmm. that is not based on the truth. Right. It's a made up story. And then we're dictating what we really charge in reality based on a completely made up story that exists inside our weird calculator inside our head. And that's yeah. what pricing is. And, and you're here saying, hey, let's look at that. Let's not just keep letting the weird story dictate what we charge. Let's observe it. Let's become aware of, well, what is what is what am I basing my prices on here? It does it make sense? Yeah. And what could I base my pricing on? Um, you know, when we were talking about uh, the you were, you were telling me about inviting the client in a little bit more into the design process, which when you first told me that I was like, Psh, I want my clients out, stay away, don't <laughs> tell me how to draw. But you're like, yeah. No, I, I, I could actually charge someone a premium to mm. bring them into that process. And you experimented with it. And it sounded like you had a great experience with it. Yeah, it works. Um, we can charge for tattoo designs, you know, just like, just like a, uh, yeah, I think the analog, the closest analog to this is, um, well, there's a few examples, but I'll start with the design, uh, the graphic designer, right? So you've got graphic design services, like, you know, you can pay 50 bucks for a logo on the internet somewhere, and you can also pay, you know, a million dollars for a logo. Yeah. And, you know, the difference of, you know, what you actually get might not be very discernible to the, you know, to the average viewer, but the effort and the care and the process behind 
one over the other is is drastically different. And when the stakes are very high, if you're a company that you know is considering um, changing your logo from what it used to be to what it's going to be, you know, it's not just about the logo, but it's all of the different places that that logo exists out in the world. You know, you've got to take it out there and put it on every every employee's business card, and you've got to make new graphics. You got to print new signs. You know, like like what, what was that? SunTrust Bank is now Truist, right? Or it mm. merged or something, and now you've got yeah. this new this new brand called Truist that I passed the other day, and it's on the stadium here, I think. Um, you know, and it's, or it's, you know, the decision-making process behind that, you know, um, for a giant corporation like that, it's a, the, the ripple effects of getting that wrong are too expensive. Right. So right. they would have had to, you know, have a giant team. They would have to, would have had to do multiple different, um, focus groups, right. To, to have a bunch of people look at, the word truest and, so are you and sort of in a bunch of different like fonts and the the client for the tattoo artist is sort of like this corporation and it, we're not it's not their logo it's their tattoo that's where I'm, that's kind of where i'm going i'm drawing a comparison between you know how it's possible for a logo to be worth 50 dollars and also a million um right. you know because the the stakes of getting it wrong are truly high so you know there there are tattoo artists that have zero interest in what I'm about to say. They are the ones who think of themselves as the owners of the work. They are the people who think of themselves as artists and they think of their customers as canvases, right? And so what they would like to have happen is for people to you know, know their work, you know, to see how amazing it is and to completely let go and trust them to do what they want to do. Right. They, they only want, you know, the opportunity to put their art on people for money. And and strangely, you know, these are some of the most famous tattoo artists in the world. And they don't charge very much. Right. And they don't charge very much because it's, you know, it's it's not about the money to them. You know, it's about just getting to do their art and and uh, and they have the same pricing problems as everybody else. So. And on the other side of that, you, there are people that are more like me who have always, even though we weren't charging for it, have always been very open to a conversation with customers. Like I've always viewed my role as a tattoo artist as, you know, help, helping you to realize your vision through me, yeah. um, you know, and, and, and I've dabbled in the other side of it too. You know, I've gotten to a but place I think where there I have my own artistic voice. Right. There can be a, a right. spectrum in a sense. Yeah, absolutely. Right. But, you know, there's there's a willingness that I have that I can relate to and almost a need for the customer to tell me what the parameters are that I can create. in. like, I'm not very good if you come to me and say, Russ, I love your work, do whatever you want. I'm much better if you say, Russ, I love your work. And specifically, I love these three tattoos and I have this concept. Right. Now I have some parameters that I can design within. But even still, for me, there's a lot of stress that goes along with that. Like I've got to say, I, I've got to take on all the weight of having to figure out what I can live with that you will live with. And you're not charging and, for that stress. And I wasn't charging for that, <laughs> you know? And, and, and so there was this conflict that would always exist. And another time I would have conflict when I was charging by the hour was when I agreed to do like a symmetrical geometric tattoo. 
you know, like a chess piece, but you weren't symmetrical. Yeah. And so I had to spend all of this time, you know, in the design process that I wasn't billing for, you know, just to make it perfect. And I would eat up a whole like half a day with all this design process stuff that I felt like, you know, was all on me because I, I wasn't like, you know, good enough at design to have somehow not created this problem for myself. And that wasn't fair to the customer to have them have to pay for me to suck at design. But really, <laughs> it wasn't that at all, right? It was just me, me doing what I had to do to create a successful tattoo for them has value, right? I yeah. just had to realize and turn the switch in my mind that like, oh, wait, like them getting a great tattoo that they are going to live with for the rest of their life is more valuable than them getting a mediocre tattoo that they're going to live with for the rest of their life. And the difference between me being able to deliver one and the other is, is being able to freely pour this energy and, it takes and not time. to constrain it by weird right. stuff. Like, like the alternative is, oh no, I just have to figure out the most efficient process. We're going to get them in and get them out. We're going to reduce the amount of effort. Like the big thing is, I, here's what we say. Here's how we get around it. We say in the console, what we say, I show you the design on the day you get tattooed. You don't get to see anything early. And the reason is because I have a lot of customers and, you know, their design is important that day. You know, I might not be even be doing your tattoo design until the night before because I'm just so busy. I'm always under the gun and this is how I work. And, and so we sort of tune our, our workflow and our career to meet the situation of customers will only pay for the time we spend tattooing. And we lose the opportunity to, to um, really correct all these issues in our work-life balance by saying, you know really what, I can, I can earn the more. The way we work from that perspective, the way we price and only for the tattoos, it moves us. Because right, if you if you were known, you only charge, you always charged for the design, the time it took you to set up, the time it took you to put on the stencil. You might have fewer clients, but you'd be making more per client, and you would just be marketing to a different type of client. And, and I think, you know, what you were saying, and I actually experimented with this, um, as well, I was inspired, uh, by our conversation. And I, I spoke with a client and said, you know, he had a lot of people come to me for some like somewhat spiritually inspired tattoos. I, I, uh, try to bring, uh, you know, my studio is called Dukkha tattoo, which is a, a Buddhist concept. I mean, suffering, I thought suffering would be a good name for a tattoo studio. Um, so people come to me with these spiritual concepts and I said, well, what if I, did this like consult almost like um spiritual questionnaire or interview with mm -hmm. them to see and and the purpose was let's design a tattoo uh let's let's find out where what got you to your point in your spiritual journey and what would be a helpful reminder on your spiritual journey as you continue and let's design a tattoo that is that reminder for you uh right. and and can we can i charge you for the consultation the design and the tattoo and the guy was so excited about it. He was like, yeah. this is more you know what? what I want than just you, know you doing a it's tattoo. It's the coolest part. You yes. know, like when you, when you, when you switch up your, your thinking on this and you realize, Oh, Holy crap. Like the part where the customer gets to talk to you about what their tattoo is going to be. And they get to go through this process of discovering what it's going to be and visualizing it is the coolest part. Yeah. 
He didn't even know that was possible as part. I mean, I guess, you know, having the tattoo be over with is pretty cool, but you know, the most exciting thing that they're looking forward to, like they send an email, they reached out to Ryan Roy, you know, Ryan Roy answered. That's the first coolest part. Like (laughs) I sent an email and Ryan answered me back. And he said, I love your idea. Let's talk. If at that point, without charging them for this, you show up and you say, all right, tell me what you want to do. And they tell you everything they want. And then you start to give them all of your ideas or you pull out your um, iPad and start drawing or you start doing anything to help them visualize it. You're giving away something that's extremely valuable to them. Right. And, and you know, I think it, we could say, oh, well, I'm selling the product at that point, right? That's what I'm doing to, to sell. Yeah, You're right. You didn't I to. didn't need yeah. to. They are already right. sold. They're already coming to me. They're not, right. you're, you're absolutely right. I didn't need to yeah. sell anything. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the, the way that it works instead is you say, let's have a quick chat. You know, I've, I've read your email and it seems like we would be a good fit to work together. Let's have a quick chat. Um, you know, here's, here's a booking link. We can meet on zoom and just make it a 15 minute meeting. Right. You know, and, and I would call it a fit determination call, you know, make that the title of the meeting. Right. 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 And, and then when you get on this meeting, it's, you know, just enough time for, for them to, you know, sort of verbally tell you what it is that they're wanting to get. Right. You can and also then, tell within and, five minutes, like, do I want to work yeah. with this person? Like, are they, you know? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I mean, you don't want to book that fit determination call unless you have reason to believe that it would be a good fit. Obviously, Absolutely. Like, Absolutely. you know, you, you, that's your first, you know, sort of gate that they need to right, get past. Right. But, um, you know, once, once you're in the call, you're looking for reasons not to do this. You know, yeah. I, I, I think that that's a really powerful way to reframe. It's like, Hey, look, I, I read your email. Um, it appears that, you know, we could work together. I'm just, I'm trying to surface any reasons why this might, might be a bad fit. You know, is there anything that you can think of <laughs> right. that, you know, would, would make this not well. And maybe I want to explain a little bit about how it works. You know, the way that it works is before we can tattoo you, we have to work together to create your tattoo design. And the price of that varies from X to Y, right? Um, depending on a number of options, which I can explain to you later. But just before we get too deep into that, I just want to check in with you. You know, if if you know you indicated on your booking form that you had a budget of this, I just I just want to be real with you and say, like, typically speaking, for clients like you and projects like this, you know, the right. price for the design is X to Y, and the price for tattooing is is hard to hard to really put a finger on because we haven't designed it yet. Right. So I'm going to, I'm going to give you kind of a high number over here just to check in with you again. And, right. It, it and, probably and so, won't be more than X amount, but you know, are you comfortable with that X range? amount that you say it needs to be really, really, really high. high. Yeah. Really yeah, high. Yeah. Because when you come back with the, the reality, you know, that, that high anchor has reframed the reality. Right. And in fact, there's, there's a, I read a lot of books on sales, marketing, um, like kind of psychological influence and stuff like that. And there's a whole art of selling and people are afraid to throw out that high price. But the thing is when you do throw out that high price and then you kind of settle on something lower than that, psychologically, um, they feel like it's way cheaper than it is. Like there's a subconscious Mm. impact. It's been studied even. Um, totally. So uh, use car salesmen do it all the time. 
They come right. and they show you a car that's a little bit too out of your, it's actually way out of your price range. You're like, your price range is $10,000. Well, here, this car is $20,000. It's perfect for you. You're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And he's like, They're doing okay. you a favor and a service in doing so. And it's not, you know, when you say car salesman, you, people go, oh, like that's not, let's, let's well, not bring that into tattooing. Right, 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 right. But I'm, I'm, I know it, it, people have this icky thing with mm. selling. And I, and I do think there are, I mean, it might be a bad analogy because I think sometimes car salesmen are trying to kind of screw you, right? We're, I'm mm. sort of sharing it in like, how can we use this um, thing where if I'm anchored to one price and then the actual price is less, I feel more comfortable making that investment, right? I want a tattoo. I know that the car salesman might be selling you a lemon. He might be genuinely trying to sell you a good car. I know for mm. me, I'm selling you a product that is absolutely worth the price and is worth the experience and the quality. And I'm going to treat you with respect. It's on you. If right. I get you to agree to a really high price for yes. a tattoo for me, I have to live with the price that you agreed to Yeah, just as much as you do. Um, yeah. you know, and so in living with it, I, I start to figure out how I can increase the value that you will receive. Right. Yeah. And it's not because I necessarily need to put more time into your design, but it frees me up to put more energy and focus into your design. It frees me up to not book two or three more tattoos this week to make my living yeah. and focus on your design. So when I, when I present you with three options for how much it could cost for me to design your tattoo, I'm giving you a choice. It could cost X, it could cost Y, it could cost Z. And there's a different set of deliverables that you'll get, which is essentially, you know, more concept sketches, more time to, you know, go back and forth, more time to have your ideas expressed in revisions. You know, yeah. as, as the more that you open yourself up to, I now charge for tattoo design. It kind of follows that you're, you know, you, the next step, step of the process is to figure out what am I willing to do? How much am I willing to let the customer in on the process? And how much control am I willing to give them so that they get the great value out of what right. they spent, how, how right? can I bring the value to meet the price so that it, it's, mm. you know, and, and what one person values might not be what another person values, you know? Right. Um, I think for anyone listening to this conversation, so th I love this conversation and I kind of just like that it is a conversation we're talking about. I think I mentioned that the story in our head is now coming out and, mm -hmm. um, if you're, you know, if you're listening to this, you don't need to like take any one or two of these concepts that we're talking about and say, okay, I'm going to now do this, or I'm going to do that. Mm. Just start questioning why yeah. and how you do the things you do. And what if you, you know, I think that you're, you're taking the solid idea of I charge 200 an hour and you're loosening mm. it. Right. And then you can, there's right. some malleability. I absolutely agree. You know, I do not think that anyone listening to this, hearing these ideas for the first time should run right out and just go make sweeping changes. Right, you right, know, right. Don't, don't put up something on your Instagram tomorrow. Like um, you're not ready. <laughs> you know, but this go, takes go time. Go talk to the other artists at your studio. Talk, exactly. Talk, go to, talk to have them. individual conversations. Have a shop see. meeting about it. How cool would right. that be if tattoo shops actually got together? I try to do a quarterly meeting at my shop with all my right. artists where we talk about maybe some things that are on the, that just need to get talked about to get the shop to move smoothly. Yeah. But a lot of it's just like, how can we grow and learn from each other? Um, right. And yeah, you know, share this, were, share this episode with them, you know? Yeah. Um, it, it's a, this is a, this is like a, 
uh, what's the matrix analogy? It's like a, a red pill or a blue pill thing. You know, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Do you want to stay you know, it's stuck like you're, in the matrix? You're just at the beginning. Um, but the I do have a, a at least one book recommendation at this point. Um, yeah. You know, and it's an easy easy book to get as an audio book. I think it might be a little challenging to get as a hardcover, but it's um, the Win Without Pitching Manifesto by Blair Ends. The wind. The win without pitching manifesto. The win without pitching manifesto. Yeah, it's written by Blair Ends, um, and Blair's also the author of um, a a bigger, a bigger book, much bigger in size, but maybe um, in content it's it's actually less because it's a three ring binder that costs a lot more money. Um, but you know, if you make it through the win without pitching manifesto, um, you should also consider Blair's other book, pricing creativity. I, I but, like to highlight books like this. I like to underline <laughs> and highlight. So I like, the yeah, in a lot of ways, a customer is not like a business, right. With a giant budget that could flex, you know, customers are dealing with their own, you know, their own scenarios. So it doesn't 100% apply, but you know, the, the idea of that book is, um, I think uh, 10 or 12 proclamations that that he makes up about how we deal with money and pricing and customers. And um, it's, it's, it's one that I shared with the artists at my shop that I got really great feedback from them on it. Some of them were like, Ooh, I'm going to read this twice. Or I'm going to listen to this again because I'm still absorbing it. Yeah. But I think it's the beginning of, you know, in this conversation, it has elements of, you know, the reframing that I went through when I read that book, ultimately, you know, reading that led me to buying Holy this that pricing is a, creativity, which like I said, is a, a three ring binder. <laughs> um, and it, the, when, when without pitching is the sort of like, you know, what to do pricing creativity is the how to do it. Um, cool. And then Blair also offers um, workshops for people, you know, who need to go and like do this in a, in a group setting. Um, and customize it to their scenario. But the way that I think, you know, for me at least, you know, I, I put myself through not only this, but a whole like wider net of, um, of, of books, um, courses, you know, I signed up for a, for a, uh, I think it was a eight week course um, with um, this incredible organization. It's called The Future um, with, with no E, F-U-T-U-R. Um, that's led by, a guy named Chris Doe, um, and he has tons of amazing videos on YouTube on the, the channels called The Future. Um, I watched so many of their videos. Um, you know, he actually interviews Blair Ends, and that's cool. where I found out about Blair Ends and his work. We'll have to make a and, list you know, of all I, these books and yeah. courses. It really would be so valuable to just yeah. have that compiled. Yeah. Yeah, man. I mean, this is what work that I was doing, like around this time last year, you know, yeah. I was, I was, I was really deep in this world. And then I signed up for the, the futures business boot camp and went through that, which was my first experience with a cohort based online course. And so cohort based courses, um, what that means is that you're with a group of people who are going through it together. So it starts yeah. on a certain date, you know, they meet every week at a certain time. And there were about 50 people who all paid, I think it was $5,000, you know, to, to be a part of this course. Um, yeah. and, and, you know, so that's, that's a lot of money, right. Um, yeah. but in, in, in paying that amount of money, um, you know, 
there's, there's a switch that happens in your brain. We're like, well, I'm going to show up and I'm going to do the work and I'm going to get this done and I'm going to, I'm going to get my value back out of it. And, and, you know, for me, it was, um, I learned a lot of stuff that I didn't know I needed to learn, you know, cause the first week was, um, all about mindset and, and it was yeah. like, okay, before you can be good at business, right. You need to, you need to fix your head. So <laughs> did you I've never learn... encountered any of that type of material? And, um, and it was like a challenge for me. Cause I was like, man, do I haven't, I learned about limiting beliefs. Mm. Um, you know, some people call them false One of my beliefs. favorite topics. <laughs> and yeah, it's, it's amazing. You know, like it, there's, there's basically these strategies and practices that you can, you know, you can go through. Um, and sometimes it helps to have, you know, a, a coach or a partner to do it with, to help you, you know, through it. Um, and that's what we would do, you know, like, so we would, um, we went through these, these eight modules, I think it was, you know, and, and pricing was one of them. And of course we, you know, he heavily references the work of Blair ends and in his talks about pricing, but, um, you know, so there's this whole ecosystem basically of, of, um, thought leaders and coaches in the realm of pricing for creative services that I fell into this web and my mind was blown. And then I started trying to figure out how to apply it to tattooing. So you, you got your money's worth. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's, like, you know, it probably, we're talking ten, like, it probably keeps paying for itself because what you learned affects how you price. And then every year after year that pays. Exactly. For yeah. Also, but you know, me, me being me, like I wasn't just doing it for me. Like I'm at the end of my tattoo career. I, I just needed a few more opportunities to prove that it works so that I could flip it back and point it at the people at my tattoo shop and help them to fix their pricing problems. And then ultimately, and I, I hope to be there, I, I guess I'm already in a way sort of publicly doing this. Like yeah, I want to, you said this is on the, I want to share burner. this with all of tattooing, right? Yeah, like I, yeah. I, I think that there's, you know, my answer to it is that I'm going to create a course of my own. Right. And, and it will, it will rely on what I learned from, from these books and these courses, but it fills in all the blanks and gives the strategies that are specific to tattooing. See, and, I want to take you, your workshop. I'll take <laughs> yours. You can take mine and we'll, uh, I'll charge more it. and you'll manage your money differently. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to need help with managing my money. Cause I'm getting even better at getting more of it. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the problem, right? Mo money. Yeah. yeah as the, the great philosopher <laughs> and poet Biggie Smalls. Right. More money, more problems. You know, that it's, it's very <laughs> true. Um, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm excited for that. It's just in the small amount of conversation we've had about pricing, it's, it just is opening up my limiting beliefs about pricing. Mm -hmm. And I, I love that you're taking these courses that you've invested a lot of time and money and energy in, and they're maybe speaking broadly, right. Or to certain niches and you have decades of experience in tattooing and you can speak and and distill down the parts that are most valuable from those and then narrow it down into uh, a workshop specifically for tattoo artists it's it's gonna be i'm i'm excited yeah it's it, it actually needs to be a workshop it needs to be a cohort-based workshop yeah I'm, I'm really certain of this because i have had conversations with lots of tattoo artists about these ideas and and then they've gone off and they've done something that was you know, far less successful than it could have been because they haven't gone through the whole process. Right. Right. And so 
there's there's reading potentially reading books or watching videos or however you learn the best and then there's putting it into practice over time and having conversations with peers who are also having these same struggles you know um doing group coaching calls or doing um i think one of the things that will be most effective is mock conversations or um i'm forgetting the word for it um role-playing yeah right like that's one I thing you can watch have, chris doe do i've done that a lot actually i have a business coach that i work with for my coaching business and a lot of yeah. that was i had those mock conversations and it was so yeah. it was a game changer total yeah. total game changer right and and you have to do these things over time because you have to you have to take some steps you have to observe the result from them, you know, and, and yeah. you, you will encounter you resistance and you have to come back and figure out what, what was it that I can, I can change about the way I'm having this conversation, you know, a, a cohort based online course that I would prepare, you know, would, would be the way to deliver this info. Um, and then I have to keep doing what I'm doing right now and have conversations about it on podcast, you know, have conversations yeah. about it in hey, person. You know, like my, Russ, my seminar at Explorer be, was leading to this. I, I, I want to, talk about that because you mentioned the the explorer thing would you be open to a teeny teeny bit of coaching here on this because i i thought of something that i wanted to absolutely yeah all right so um you know and i'm sure this is something you've you've gone over many times i don't think this is a new concept at all to you but uh you you know we're talking about this and i know you don't have a plan for when this workshop's happening yet right you don't is it but we could start to put it into some parameters like are we talking 10 years from now or less than 10 years from now? Oh, well, it's, it's been slated <laughs> for this year, right? So okay, great. Um, the way That's that what our, I want to know is like, yeah, the way that our, um, yeah. In the world of tattoo smart, we needed to start the online community launch pad. So I don't even know if we've talked about that yet. So I'm right. It might be the segue, but you know, that was something that we viewed as essential to, um, you know, having a sort of a testing ground for conversations, right? Like one of the big things that I've learned, and I think this has been affected in a big way by the COVID, um, you know, shutdowns, obviously, but uh, I'm now living in a world where I'm on Zoom, like every single day, talking to tattoo artists. And, you know, in a way that somewhat replaces, um, you know, traveling to tattoo conventions and hanging out at tattoo shops. Um, but, as a person who, you know, regularly develops products to meet the needs that tattoo artists have, um, it's essential. Like if, if I'm not out here having conversations with tattoo artists and, and seeing the conversations that tattoo artists have, and I can't make the connections, you know, I can't figure out what problems they have that I can come up with a way to, you know, potentially solve. And, and, and then if I do come up with this solution, I need still a way to bring it back to them and say, Hey, like, I, I know you have this problem. I made this solution. Does that solve your problem? And, and so really, it's like a think tank. That, like Launchpad is this big think tank. I think that's the impetus for it. Right. That's where, that's where, um, you know, and, and also the impetus for it was the futures, um, you know, course that I took because they have a community they call it the future pro group and the pro group is full of um all of these different professionals you know i i'm maybe the only tattoo artist in the group but there's you know videographers there's 
advertising agency owners. There's people that are in like super weird niches um, that have all discovered the futures channel and their content on YouTube who have, who have realized that they wanted the deeper level. They wanted the custom version of, you know, what they're seeing on YouTube. And so for that, they have the pro group. And then for the deeper, deeper level, they have, you know, this course that I took. And so when I took that course, it included, a, I think, a year of the group. And so mm -hmm. as soon as the course was over, I, I, you know, got dropped in the group, which, you know, I was warned. It's a little like drinking from a fire hose. You know, there's just so <laughs> much content because there's a lot of people that are in that group who are content creators in their own niche right yeah so they're going they're going to the future and chris doe to learn about how to market themselves how to position themselves how you know social media strategy um you know and they're meeting each other in this group and they're giving each other work you know and they're hiring they're going in there and they're saying hey like my design agency needs a right a they're person networking with skills yeah. is there anyone in this group that has that skill that we can hire because you know they already know that these people you know are sort of like bought into the same, you know, mindset or, you know, beliefs that, that they have. Um, and so, you know, it, it wasn't very difficult to imagine, you know, the tattoo version of that. Um, and that's really what Launchpad is. So it's, you know, it's, it's, it's better than a Facebook group because it's moderated. The people that are in it have paid to be there. And so they behave more professionally. Um, you know, because they're paying to be there, then we can have a professional community manager, Forrest, you know, show up and make sure they have a great experience. And, um, you know, we're in this beta phase right now. It's just, it's, it has uh, 70 members right now. And, and, and that's because we, we, you know, we asked Tattoo Smart people, people on our, in our um, email list to apply out of that. A few hundred people, you know, filled out this, this long application form. And, and we brought them in, gave them the opportunity to show up to this webinar that happened a couple of weeks ago and learn about what we'd actually built. And then of the people that showed up, you know, 70 have shown up and, and, and paid for a few months of, you know, this grand experiment that we're calling Launchpad. Um, and you're in there. So I, I'm yeah. going to let you take it from there, I guess, and fill in. Yeah, some well, I, I would like to share just because I, I, you know, it's still in its infancy, it's still growing and what's possible isn't yet revealed to us, right. But I'll just say from my experience of being a part of that webinar and seeing tattoo artists in a way that I'm not used to seeing tattoo artists in a way that was very refreshing, because mm. there were, there were, you know, big scary guys with face tattoos getting on there being real vulnerable about like what they're dealing with and tattooing and opening up and immediately I'm like I feel the same way as this person and and they're looking for solutions and I'm you know hearing from people that you know they have problems and other people have solutions to things that I'm dealing with so it was just this like you know, like you said, uh, you used to go to a convention to have that experience, maybe a couple times a year, or, you know, maybe you're doing the circuit and you're going all the time, but this is a place that's only for those enriching conversations. I've had a conversation with a tattoo artist where they told me one thing that changed the way I did everything. And I'll forever, you know, I got so much value out of that one conversation. Right. You've created, like you said, drinking from the fire hose of, mm -hmm people sharing knowledge. And I, I, I saw some of the immediate things that were showing up in Launchpad 
um, mm-hmm. big tattoo stencils. That was a really awesome thread of yeah. like discussing how how are we doing big projects? Does everyone just print it out and then blow it up 300 times on a printer and then play some weird arts and crafts game with tape and scissors? Um, <laughs> and then there was a bunch of other solutions that I never ever thought about on how yeah. to do that better and more quickly. And now next yeah. time, I go to do a big back piece. I'm going to go right back to that thread and reread it. Uh, yeah. I have it saved. You know, you can like save, uh, you know, certain threads in the, in the, on Launchpad. Mm-hmm. So just immediately starting to see these uh, conversations bubble. I'm obviously on there sharing, you know, financial information, financial tips and goals. Um, you know, I do some of that on Instagram and I, my goal is to be able to go a little bit deeper on Launchpad because um, right. I don't, have that I Instagram is really limited to 60 seconds. And, um, and that's something I, I, I hope to do actually in the next week or so is I want to go deeper into my perspective on this money system. I, mm-hmm. I really, you know, I was like talking about this in the beginning is I, I don't think my financial goals or anyone's financial goals are not that they're not achievable. I'll, I'll reframe that they are achievable and the better your foundation is, the more tight and automated your money is being managed for you, the better chance you have of accomplishing those future financial goals and more quickly, you, you know, things that could take you 10 years to save up, you could do in five years, you know, um, and, and you'll be basically just put yourself in a better position. So I want to talk about this on Launchpad and I haven't had a good platform. Instagram's it's okay. But um, so I'm just, I'm excited to, to share more financial business tips. There's a bunch of uh, business, um, you know, kind of mentors on, on Launchpad as well. Well, like, a, you know, like I said, like I've, I've been observing the, you know, the landscape of tattooing in, in this space and seeing these connections, right? Like you and I meeting is a piece of that. And there's certainly other people, um, you know, that, that are focused on, the areas of business and tattooing and um and and i found that each of them you know while there may be some overlap each of them has a different style each of them has a different you know kind of perspective and you know if you if you if you just imagine like tattooing and and this this type of content in tattooing is still very new and it's going there are going to be you know, a hundred different people like you that are offering financial advice. I, I hope there are. Artists, yeah. Right. And, and, and it only follows logic dictates that there will be those that speak other languages. Um, there will be those that, you know, just live in a different region with different cultural norms that need, you know, to communicate with people in a different way. And so there's going to be more people just like me. You know, there's going to be more communities like Launchpad that might be the, you know, the particular flavor that, that you need. And um, so sort of this cross pollination, I have an abundance mindset about, about first, you know, tattooing in general, right? There isn't a, um, a limited number of tattoo customers, right? That, that, that's an old, that's a limiting belief that people have about tattooing. (laughs) Yeah. So then it follows that there must be a, abundance mindset about people who would like to create content, you know, to educate tattoo artists as well. Right. And so, and since I believe that, I believe that Launchpad 
could be a hub and an sort of a R&D facility, you know, a think tank for those that will become those thought leaders, you know, that will need, you know, the community of each other to help to launch what they're going to do. Um, you know, and I, I think that- Is that why you named it I, Launchpad? That's why I named it Launchpad, yeah. <laughs> that makes um, sense now. It just clicked, yeah. I just got yeah. it. Yeah, oh, it is. It this is, is the launching point, not for you, but for right. everyone. Ah, okay. Right, because I need, like I said, I need to have conversations. Yeah. And I need to have conversations with people that are, you know, um, invested in the conversation enough, right? Like I can't always have conversations with people that are not used to having these conversations. I need to have conversations with people that are out there having these conversations already that have different areas of focus and different levels of experience so that I can continue to kind of, you know, stay focused and engaged and, and see new connections right. for, for myself, for my business. And, and in so doing, like, you know, I, I imagine that, that we all benefit, you know, rising tides lift all boats, right? I, I think that is a vision that, again, that's a story. If, if we want to support that story, I think that's the result we'll get. And, um, you know, I, I shared this on the, the Launchpad night. I'm, I'm always looking, you know, I'm, I'm a licensed investment advisor. I'm looking at things for well, what's the investment perspective, right? What's my portfolio? I want a diversified portfolio. So sure, mm-hmm. I have stocks, bonds, real estate, I'll think, you know, a business. Um, but I'm viewing Launchpad or other courses I take as part of my portfolio, right? And mm-hmm. it's, an, it's an investment. First of all, it's an investment that's not correlated to the stock market. So while the stock market's crashing or doing what it's doing, my money invested yeah. in Launchpad is doing something else, right? It's, it's got its own ebbs and flows. But um, right. you know, like, just like you invested 5K in that course, then the value you get out of it continues to pay over and over again that's how I viewed the investment in Launchpad is like, not only am I going to share my message, but I'm going to learn so much. That's going to, that one back piece, that one large scale stencil thing is going to save me hours in my life that I can then use in other ways. So, and that's just in a few weeks, you know, I can't even imagine what is going to happen a month, two, six months, a year from now, what the community is going to look like. Um, and it, it really will be like drinking from the fire hose. It's, it's just going to be so much good information. And um, it already is, you know, yeah. like we had four, we, it sends out a, um, we send out a, a weekly wrap up email. I don't know if you receive it, but yeah, maybe yeah. you need to change your note. But so I, I think the number was, there were 42 new posts in the previous week, which was our second week of Launchpad being in existence. There were 42 new posts. Um, and, and part of the reason for that is that everybody's new to it. You know, they're all like, yeah. I'm going to make a post. I'm going to make my first post. I'm going to introduce myself. But, you know, there's topical posts too. And I think that we're at a place right now where some topics are getting, you know, kind of lost in the mix. They're getting buried, you know, like someone will, will, will put something up and then there's like only one comment or there's no interaction. And, and that's kind of painful for me to see. Like, I really mm-hmm. want, I want the community to get to that, that sort of tipping point in scale to where, you know, there's someone there that sees that someone else made a post that, you know, has a great answer that's worth them taking the time to respond. It's a, it's a give more than you take, um, you know, environment 
really. Yeah. And we need to build a culture where people understand like, you know, you're going to need to invest some of your input and your experience into this community. Everyone who's a member is going to need to do that um, so that it reaches the level of, you know, you know, energy and flow to where there's enough people in there who have been attracted to this magnet to where when you have a question or you have something in your life that's causing you some stress and you need some really good direction on it, that there is a response back. And, and so, you know, I, I think that as we continue to nurture this and, and, you know, kind of, you know, put fertilizer and water onto the seeds that we planted, that's what we'll be attempting to do is to, you know, kind of, um, you know, slow the, keep the growth slow and that we're not, we're not out there, you know, promoting how to sign up for Launchpad right now. Um, the people that are in there, you know, all went through this initial process. And I think there's um, in, in this early kind of first three months, we're, we're really going to, you know, hold back on the big, like, Hey, join Launchpad kind of, you know, invitation because right, we're, I you see know, we truly don't the value have it. In it. Yeah. Well, yeah. It's just, you know, we're, we are also figuring out how it works, you know, yeah. like, People are making posts and questions are being raised and we're, we're having discussions internally about how we would like to deal with certain scenarios and how we mm. would like to, you know, arrange things moving forward. And we're also engaging in conversations with the members to find out what they need. And, yeah. you know, and, and I think when you bring in a bunch of people into a scenario like that, the, the potential for chaos is, is a little scary. So that's, a, I think is, you know, and I don't know when this podcast will come out. Like um, we're, we're still in June right now. So roughly speaking, hopefully by, hopefully by the end of the month, I would say. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, if you're, if you're listening to this in, let's say August of 2022 or later, then it very well may, may be the case that you can go to tattoosmart.com and find a link over to, you know, apply to join Launchpad. But um, there's still a lot of things that are not set in stone about it and you know we're, we're in this you know what we call a beta phase and you know the people who are there right now the founding members are you know fully invited to you know get in there and play around and make posts and challenge each other you know figure out how the platform works figure out how to break it you know like right you know we, <laughs> we're we're all about you know this this um this kind of process of research and development right now and and uh that's it you know it's yeah I, i'm super excited about what it could become i'm very excited about what it is now um but even more excited about what it could become and the impact that it can have on on tattoo artist lives and businesses yeah, yeah absolutely I, I it's the only place that i know of and you know that you can come together with other tattooers and post a question and not get some weird snotty comment back it's like everyone's so freaking supportive on there and it's just like such a good feeling to have that because i haven't experienced that at every tattoo shop i've been at shops and i you know i have my my close-knit tattoo friends but um yeah it's like really refreshing so did you discover the secret to russ abbott's success It's not in any particular skill that he possesses or piece of information that he shared, but it is painted all over everything that he has to say. I think the primary lesson that I wanted everyone to take away from this conversation that they can apply to money or any area of life 
is that the source of Russ's success is his commitment to being an eternal student. He seems to be comfortable immersing himself in the uncomfortable and humbling act of learning something completely new. And while I'm sure that he experiences fear and doubt, just like the rest of us, he moves towards this scary, unfamiliar territory rather than away from it, and he's able to learn so much because of this. He seems to understand that in order to continue learning, he also needs to teach others what he's already learned. And sharing our knowledge with others instead of guarding it is one of the most powerful ways that we can grow as individuals and as a community. And I think this is really the key to Russ Abbott's success. I want to thank you again for listening. I hope that you enjoyed this first episode of The Artful Dollar. And if you did, I invite you to like, subscribe, and leave a comment. It will really help other people to find my work so that they can continue to learn and build a healthy relationship with money for themselves. Until next time, I'm Ryan Roy. Have a wonderful rest of your day.